Welcome to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We do everything we do because we believe life with Jesus is better. If you like what you hear, we'd love to have you swing by and join us for worship. We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and have other groups and ministries on various days of the week. You can learn more by going to wakeparkchurch.org. Over the summer, we are actually going to be dedicating our Sunday mornings to sharing testimonies of our people. Uh, We just finished the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is all about uh, Jesus telling his followers to be his witnesses so that all the families on earth will be blessed. And so if that's our primary calling, then it seems like we probably ought to know how to do that. How can we actually be witnesses? Now, of course, some of that is bearing witness to the life, death, resurrection, and kingship of Jesus. Because at the core of our faith is the fact that Jesus is not just our king, but he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we believe that that's good news because you can't find a more gracious king one that is forgiving, one who gives grace to the most hopeless sinners and outcasts. That means that you are not too far gone. You're never too far gone. And you don't have to prove yourself first, but God invites everyone to be a part of his family, and then he walks with you as you try to figure out out life. He walks with you and says, we'll figure out your stuff together. And so we believe that deep in our hearts, It transforms us. That's the core of what we believe as Christians. And in fact, this is something that John Wesley, the uh, man that our denomination gets gets its name from, uh, who was an Anglican priest in the 1700s, found out personally. Early on in his ministry, he came to the U.S. He, like I said, was in London. But he came to the United States to the, I guess at the time, I think it was the colony of Georgia. And he came as a missionary, mostly to the Native Americans. And I guess it would be fair to say he was a miserable failure. He, uh, he just did not have a very good time. In fact, he was so frustrated. There was a, a girl that he liked that uh, didn't have time for him, and so he refused to serve her communion because he was mad at her. And uh, so anyway, so it didn't, it didn't go great for Wesley while he was here, and so he decided to head home. Well, the journey from the United States to London took quite a while. My, uh, my wife and I, this uh, past May, went to London, uh, flew to London from Minneapolis. The flight was, I think, about eight or eight and a half hours or so. And at one time during the flight, we hit a little bit of turbulence, and, and my Coke uh, started shaking, and it spilled all over my tray. And uh, man, it was just a terrible tragedy. And, uh, and then we... No. So it was an eight-hour trip, had a little bit of turbulence along the way. Well, when, when Wesley went back to London, it was a little bit more of an eventful trip. Number one, it didn't take hours, it took months. And it wasn't in an airplane, it was in the hull of a ship. And at one time during his trip to London, the, there, there came a, a storm on the Atlantic Ocean. And the storm was so severe that he was afraid for his life. He was afraid that the ship was going to break apart. And, uh, but he noticed, while he was sitting down in the hull of the ship, there was another group of people, people another group of believers, we call them Moravians, who, were, didn't, who didn't seem to have a care in the world. They were singing hymns, and they just, you know, it was almost like nothing was happening at all. And he just thought, this is the strangest thing. Here I am, uh, an Anglican missionary. And I'm terrified for my life, 
And here is this group of people that just doesn't seem to have a care in the world. And so when the storm settled, Wesley found the leader of their group. His name was August Spangenberg. And, uh, and, uh, and still shaken from the storm, Wesley asked him how it could be that they could be singing hymns when their life could be at risk. Well, in his diary, Wesley recounts the conversation that they had, and this is what he writes. He said, Spangenberg said, My brother, I must first ask you two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness that you, uh, that with your spirit that you are a child of God? I was surprised and knew not what to answer. He observed that. And he asked, do you know Jesus Christ? I paused and I said, I know he is the savior of the world. True, he replied. But do you know that he has saved you? I answered, I hope he has died to save me. Spangenberg pressed him. Do you know yourself? And then Wesley adds to the story. He said, I said, I do, but I fear they were vain words. Well, it wasn't too long later when Wesley made it safely back to London, and he was sitting in a Moravian Bible study on Aldersgate Street. Also, my wife and I actually got to go to the place where this happened, which was pretty cool. But he was sitting in a Moravian Bible study. Actually, it was a Bible study, uh, and someone was reading the preface to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans, which I'm sure was riveting. And he said, as he was sitting there, he felt like his heart was strangely warmed. And he writes that it was at that time that he did trust Christ for his salvation. And when that happened, it actually changed everything for him. He was a failure in Georgia, but he was a great success in London. Throughout, through the work of Wesley, revival broke out in England. Thousands of people came to Christ and were discipled in their faith. He was instrumental in the abolishment of slavery in England. He shut down the distilleries in London where uh, alcoholism was rampant. All because of this inner witness that happened with him. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He was absolutely transformed. That's the power of witness. Okay, now, your change may not be quite so dramatic, but I can assure you that faith in God is not intended just to be an intellectual proposition, but an ongoing daily walk that makes a difference in your life. And so this summer, we're going to be hearing a variety of stories from a variety of people in our congregation about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And we do still have a few weeks that we need to fill. And so if this is something that you're interested in doing, we can talk about it. We can do it interview style. You can share a testimony. We can do a video, however you want to do it. Uh, but we want to tell these stories, okay? And, and some of the stories will be dramatic, getting off drugs, bad family situations, God getting you through difficult times. But other stories will feel maybe a little bit more run-of-the-mill, when we can sense that God is guiding us, okay? And neither one is the right way or the wrong way to witness because God works in each one of us differently. We all come from different places. But what I hope that you see over the course of the summer is that God is still active and at work in a variety of ways. And so I want you to become more confident 
in sharing stories of how God has worked in your life so that we can become a community of people who are not afraid to be witnesses. Now, I'm going to start today by telling you three stories from my life about ways in which God has worked. Uh, Like I told you last week, you know, when we think about testimony, oftentimes we think about the testimony of when we got saved. But testimony is much more than that. And in fact, you have numerous testimonies throughout your life. And so I'm going to tell, and all three of these come from earlier on in my life when I was younger, high school and, and college age. But my story is not one of those dramatic stories. Uh, But what I hope you'll see is the variety of ways that God has guided me throughout life. And as a result, I hope that you'll understand that God will not always guide you in the same way throughout your life either. Now, I grew up on a farm in eastern South Dakota. The farm belonged to my grandpa. It was a dairy farm. And both of my parents worked other jobs, but my dad worked on the farm as a hired hand. Um, You know, growing up as a farm kid, you might think that I have a lot of farming experience, but actually I was much more interested in playing basketball up in the hayloft than I was in milking cows. And uh, so that was pretty much my childhood, trying not to dribble because it would spook the cows uh, when they were down there. Uh, But I didn't do a whole lot of help. Uh, I wasn't a whole lot of help on the farm, uh, but my dad was. But I also grew up going to church. It was a small Wesleyan church, actually very similar to this. If you walked into that sanctuary, you would say, wow, it's got kind of the upside-down arc design and and all of that. Uh, Same kind of deal. And uh, we were there three times a week at minimum. We were there on Sunday morning. We were there Sunday night. We were there Wednesday night for a youth group. And if there was anything special going on, we were there. And my parents probably helped clean up afterwards. And I know that there are some people who grow up sort of resenting the fact that their parents drug them to church all the time, but it never really bothered me that much, other than I didn't really care for Sunday night service that much. You know, I wanted to watch football and, you know, things like that, but it wasn't that big of a deal, other than having to sit through Sunday night service. Uh, We had a a small youth group that was led by volunteers, you know, it wasn't this big uh, flashy uh, sort of thing. We just sat down in this small youth uh, youth room and studied the Bible and played games together and things like that. Uh, It wasn't a perfect church. We could tend toward legalism at times, but overall, it was actually a pretty good way to grow up. And I was always pretty open to God. Uh, If I ever started to get off track, there was always youth camp, of course, that would start to, you know, pull me back. And in many ways, that's kind of the first part of my story, is being a part of a community of believers that that sort of guided me through life, to raise me up and to show me what it means to love Jesus. I prayed to receive Christ for the very first time, and it must have been in 1978 or 1979, I was seven or eight years old. Uh, You can do the math there and figure out how old I am. I was watching a a low-budget end times film called The Distant Thunder. Probably you guys have heard that before. It was about the rapture, and I was terrified. And, uh, And I basically said, I don't want that to happen to me. And so I tugged on my mom's pants and said, what do I do? <laughs> and, uh, and that was my, uh, apparently my salvation experience. And uh, uh, I would have to say that probably throughout the course of my teenage years, I probably prayed that prayer 10 more times, just to be sure, uh, as a good Wesleyan, I think. And, uh, but I would say that the, probably the first time that I really sensed God speak to me 
was when I was in high school, it was the summer of my, uh, between my junior and senior year of high school, and I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary during a Sunday night service. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't, I wasn't paying attention, and I don't think what I heard had anything to do with the service, but I very distinctly, and I don't know how to describe it, I wouldn't say it was audible, but I knew that it was the voice of God that said to me, I want you to go into ministry. Okay, now, you have to understand The ministry was not something that was on my radar. In fact, I do know that earlier on in the summer at youth camp, as they always did in those days, there was one night where they would ask you, do you believe that you're called to full-time Christian service? In other words, are you called to ministry? And I didn't go go forward at youth camp. I didn't, you know, it just wasn't on my radar. But it was very distinct in this moment. I was sitting back probably about where Terry and Leah are back in the back of the sanctuary, and I just knew it. I just sensed that it was God speaking to me. And I wasn't really listening for God's voice. I was just kind of minding my own business. But of course, that shouldn't really be a big surprise. That's kind of how it happened with Moses in the Bible. If you remember, he was tending sheep when he saw a burning bush, and he had to go over and check it out. He wasn't praying. He wasn't wondering about God's plan for his life or anything like that. He was just doing his thing, and God broke in And called him. Well, of course, I didn't see a burning bush like Moses did. And it's hard to explain even to this day, but I will say that it was undeniable. And I didn't resist, but I actually didn't really change anything either. And so there's another chapter to this story. Over the next year, I sort of forgot about that call. And uh, all of my life, I had wanted to be an architect. And my dad was a contractor, and I had taken a drafting class in high school that I really loved, and so I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life. And so when I graduated, I started to make plans to attend a vocational school in in Sioux Falls. I got an apartment with my cousin who was about to attend the, the same school. And so we went to orientation together, and I can remember sitting toward the front on the aisle when about a half an hour into orientation, there was that voice again, Corey. I told you to go into ministry. What are you doing here? And again, it was strange to me because I wasn't really seeking God's guidance at the time. In fact, I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. Ministry was still not really on my radar in that moment. I wasn't even conflicted about it. It was just nowhere in my consciousness. But when I heard the voice of God, I knew I blew it. And so I got up right away and I called my dad and then I told him what happened and He told me to see if I could get my tuition refunded from the school. And then, as long as I had an apartment and I couldn't get out of a lease, that I could go over to one of the liberal arts colleges in town there and start my general eds and then maybe transfer out to a Wesleyan school or something like that. Well, I ended up at a place called Sioux Falls College, or it's now the University of Sioux Sioux Falls, which is a Baptist school that, interestingly, had a religion department led by a guy by the name of Randy Maddox, who today is one of the world's foremost scholars on John Wesley. Well, it convinced me to stick around, and I'm glad I did, uh, because not only did I get my degree, but I also got my wife there, and uh, that turned out pretty well, at least so far. (laughs) In any case, that was about as dramatic as my testimony gets. But there have been other ways that I believe that God has spoken to me over the years. If you fast forward just about a year or two from there, 
during my sophomore year of college, or again, I think it was during the summer after my sophomore year of college, I was now enrolled in the religious studies uh, program there at the school. And in fact, I went on a mission trip. Uh, the, the Wesleyan Church used to have this uh, youth mission thing called Yes Corps. And uh, so I went to inner city Los Angeles and, uh, and worked at a homeless shelter and then a camp for, for city kids. And uh, while I was there, I can remember getting a phone call that my grandmother had just passed away. Now, I was pretty close to my grandma growing up. She really liked to watch basketball, and I really liked to play basketball, so it was a match made in heaven. She came to all of my games and encouraged me a great deal. In fact, when I was in sixth grade, she had been watching my games, and she said, why don't you ever jump? And... Uh, and, you know, of course, I didn't really know the answer to it other than white guys can't jump. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, she uh, decided that she would buy me a set of ankle weights for my birthday. And uh, so I started wearing them. And I remember, actually, for a number of years, I started wearing these ankle weights and doing jumping exercises and all of that, all because my grandma asked me, why don't you jump? <laughs> and, uh, and my wife can tell you that I hadn't stopped jumping until probably about uh, maybe last year when it got to be too painful because I'm too old. So, <laughs> so I was close to my grandma. Now, she was really the first person in my life that I ever lost who was close to me. And so it was a shock to my system. Uh, I had found faith to be pretty easy when it was going well. But now when things weren't going quite so well, faith became a lot more difficult. I mean, she was a good person. And I had prayed. You know, she had struggled with cancer for a little while, and, and I'd been praying for her healing and all of that, and I didn't hear anything. I just heard silence. Now, if you've ever experienced anything like that, you know that it can be a pretty disorienting thing. You know, and at the time, I didn't really know how things were going to turn out. I mean, I was going to school for ministry, and I would say for a time, I lost my faith. Like, I just didn't believe that there was a God. We had a, a program at the school where we, they set up accountability partners for us. And, uh, and I got partnered up with this other gal, and the first time we met, she talked about how, you know, great it was that Jesus was speaking to her and, and all of that. And she said, okay, it's your turn. And I said, well, I don't even believe in God which was a little bit of a shock to her as well. Never experienced that before. You know, there are psalms like Psalm 11 that say things like, in you, Lord, I take refuge. But actually, my thoughts at the time were a little bit more like Psalm 10, where David writes, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It was, it was really more like that that I felt at the time. Well, obviously, I'm a pastor today, and you should assume, and actually, I will tell you that I actually believe in God again. <laughs> and I mentioned last week that when we share testimonies, that oftentimes there's a catalyst for, you know, the change that happens in us. It brings us into a new understanding of God or something like that. But in this case, I really don't know what the catalyst was. I didn't hear a sermon that changed everything. I didn't read a Bible verse that came alive for me. I didn't hit rock bottom and suddenly realize my, name, my, my need for God. But instead, what happened was, it seems like I just woke up one day 
and I believed again. I don't really know how else to explain it, I guess. But during that time of confusion, I believed that God was actually healing some things under the surface of my life. You know, we oftentimes think that spiritual progress has to be a conscious thing, as if the only way that we grow is through learning new things. But actually, I believe that God's spirit ministers to our spirit, and I think just like a seed germinating under the soil, that God was germinating some kind of faith in me during that time. You know, of course, God can work through Bible study and sermons. I hope so, otherwise we're wasting our time right now. But also don't discount the healing work that God can do in you even when you don't even realize he's working. And so if you're going through something like what I went through, what should you do? Well, first of all, I would encourage you not to panic about it. Okay? The fact of the matter is, is that people have doubts, even people who are studying for ministry, even people who are in ministry. You're going to experience situations in life that are disorienting. And so don't think that something abnormal is happening to you. Doubt and struggle is a part of the life of faith. But here's the second thing I would say. Is that even if you don't feel it, just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Be honest about your struggles. Take it to a believer that will be able to handle your doubt and your confusion But continue to do what you've always done. Worship, small group, scripture, prayer. I know it won't always feel great during that time, but just continue. Walk on. And give God time to do a healing work in you. And if you persevere, when you come out of it, I will tell you this, that your faith will not look the same. It'll grow roots that are deeper, than before, as long as you don't harden your soil, because you just don't know what God is doing under the surface. Just trust that he is. So, so far you can see that God has guided me through supernatural means where I I heard a voice. He's grown my faith by working under the surface of my life. But the most common way that God has guided me throughout life has been through the work of other people most significantly for me through my mentor. And I've talked about him before. If you've been around a while, you know about my mentor. It's hard for me to share my story of faith without talking about Norman. See, partway through my junior year of college, my friend Chad and I had become prayer and accountability partners. We lived across the hall from each other in the junior-senior dorm. Uh, and, uh, And we would meet together regularly for prayer and for spiritual conversation. And one day, Chad came into my room in the afternoon, and he said, I just had lunch with a guy who could see right into my soul. (laughs) So I thought, that's kind of a strange way to start a conversation, but, you know, kind of intriguing. He got my attention. And so I asked him, okay, well, how did that come about? (laughs) Well, a few days earlier... He was at a, I think it was a fellowship of Christian athletes gathering on campus. And this older guy named Norman actually spoke at their little gathering. And after the event, the two of them got to talking over refreshments. And Norman asked him if he wanted to have lunch. Well, he was in college, and so the idea of a free lunch was too much to turn down, even if he didn't know the guy. Well, as it turns out, Norman was the CFO of the college that we were going to. 
Okay, that was his job anyway. But actually, the most important work that he did was mentoring young men. At that point, he was 64 years old, and he'd been doing it for more than 20 years. He said over the course of his life, he probably ended up mentoring, in a very deep way, about 100 guys. Uh, they, anyway, they had lunch. He and Chad had lunch. And at the end of the lunch, he asked Chad if he'd like to meet regularly, and Chad was up to give it a try. Okay, now, I have a good dad. And so it's not like I was missing a strong male father figure or anything like that growing up, but going off to college and entering this sort of new phase of my life, it surprised me how hungry I was for that kind of an investment from an older man, especially someone who is very intentional about my spiritual growth. You know, my parents took us to church growing up, modeled a pretty good faith, but we didn't actually talk about it that much. And like I said, of all the ways that God has guided me throughout life, this has probably been the most significant and the most consistent. Okay? But here's the thing, is when we think about this question, how does God speak to us? How does God guide us? Oftentimes, we'll say things like, well, he guides us through scripture. He guides us through prayer. And way down on the list is other people. It's not typically what comes to mind. You know, I described my call to ministry as an audible or whatever you want to call it voice, but I will tell you that I can think of uh, that happening to me only three times in my life where the voice of God was clear and undeniable like that. I get impressions from God and leanings every so often that, you know, I think I could probably doubt, but I think is maybe God speaking to, be, to me. I mean, maybe you've had uh, more times of direct communication with God than I have, but far more often the voice of God has been mediated through a wise mentor or through a friend who is steeped in a deep love of Scripture and who isn't a slave to the latest ideologies or the latest intellectual trend or spirit fad. Okay? And this kind of thing is all over Proverbs. Proverbs 11:14, where there is no guidance the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory. 12:15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 19, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Yeah, it's nice to get those supernatural messages from God, but you know what? What I found is, is that all of them can be doubted. We can psychologize any experience away, which is why miracles themselves don't often result in lasting faith as much as we would like them to. It didn't work with the people of Israel who saw God work in some of the most amazing ways that you can ever think of. And it won't necessarily work for us either. Now, I know the, the sermon uh, where I talked about Andy Crouch's idea about impact and influence has resonated with many of you because you guys bring it up all the time. And this is actually what I'm talking about. See, I do believe that God can do and sometimes does do the spectacular. I still believe that God directly called me to ministry. But my faith has grown or as my faith has grown, more and more often, it happens through the voice of God mediated through other people. People like Norman. Okay, when he continued to ask me the question, how are you staying alive spiritually? Or at the end of every time we met, when he said, tell me something you don't want to tell me. 
<laughs> which is a great question. Or when I called him after my wife and I moved to Kentucky a month after we got married, and I said, who is this strange creature that I married? <laughs> and he just listened, said, tell me more, let's talk about it. When I was writing articles that were snarky and political, and he said, I cannot endorse this, you've become a political mouth. When I confessed my deepest, darkest sins, and Norman said to me, God forgives you. Those are the times that God has grown me the most. Well, I kind of feel like the message has been all over the place, and I know it's not really a traditional sermon. But if I were to boil it down to just one point, which I think is what you're supposed to do with sermons, it would be something that my mentor instilled in me. It's that God doesn't speak to everyone the same way. And in fact, throughout your life, he won't speak to you the same way every time either. He knows you. He knows your story. He knows your situation. He knows your unique personality and tendencies. And so he will guide you differently than he will guide me. And not only that, but you've, I think you've seen through my story that God has actually used many different ways to grow me up. Okay, so... Listen for God in everything, in the supernatural or in the natural, through the voice of God or the voice of a trusted believer. Listen in the big moments and in the small moments. And if you don't hear that voice or wonder why God isn't speaking, then stay faithful. Keep putting one foot in front of the other because you never know what God might be germinating under the surface of your life. Lord, I thank you for speaking to me, for, for leading me in so many ways. And, and even during those times when I was tempted to doubt, to doubt your goodness or to even doubt your existence, looking back in hindsight, I can still see that you were actually walking with me the whole time. And so, Lord, I pray that as I bear witness to your goodness, that it would resonate with people here. That you would speak to those who need to hear it, who may be experiencing one of those things that I experienced over the course of my life. God, I believe that you do still speak. I do believe that you are active in our lives. And so God, I, I just pray for a sensitivity to your spirit to a sensitivity to the way that you are working us, working in us, and growing us into the people that you created us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Wake Park Church Sermon Podcast from Wake Park Church in Northeast Minneapolis. We hope this week's sermon helped you learn to know and love Jesus more and serve him in your unique place in the world. If you have feedback or questions, get in touch with us by emailing podcast at wakeparkchurch.org.